them, prayed on them, wept on them, probably slept on them, and even bled on them. If those stones that Jesus had come in contact with could talk, what would their stories be? What would their stories be? And as we celebrate Easter, I want to take you to seven stones that Jesus comes in contact with. And we'll go through them fairly quickly today. Stone number one was the stone on the Mount of Temptation. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4 said this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting and 40 nights, he was hungry. This is one of those times where you got to take a time out. And you cannot just read quickly through this. Put yourself in that passage. Have any of us ever gone 40 days and 40 nights without food? And if you have, then you understand the need and how food has become prevalent. I have done a long fast. I've never done 40 days. In fact, I did a fast where after a period of days, about three days, the desire for food goes away. But in all of the research that I've done on fasting, around the 40th day, it comes back, and it comes back with a vengeance. At this point, your body is telling you, we need to get things back rolling into motion here. So Jesus has been in the desert for 40 days, 40 nights fasting, and he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written that man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is this passage saying to you? To me, this passage is saying that Satan is always going to look for a weakness in our area, our character, our lives, our words, our actions and move at that moment on that area of weakness. He's watching us constantly to see how we respond. We all like nice things, but nice things can't own us. When we get that relationship in reverse, all of a sudden we start working for the things that we should be owning. There's nothing wrong with owning nice things. It's nothing wrong having great friends and and thinking, being thought of well in the community. But at any time that becomes a little G-God in our lives, it becomes an issue with big G-God in our lives. Because we are to have no other gods before him. Satan is constantly watching how we respond. It might be that you get too much change back from a cashier and, and your reasoning is, well, this is a multi-million dollar company. They won't miss the, the $7 they overpaid me in my change. Or maybe changing a little numbers on our taxes so we can get a, a greater refund. It might be just areas that we consider like white, grayish areas of sin. But I want you to know that, Jesus, that Satan is watching how we respond. And that Jesus had the perfect example. Whenever tempted by Satan, he always started off saying, it is written. He used God's word. He used the word. He used the Old Testament, it is written, it is written, it is written. We, as born-again believers, if we are not perfect like Jesus Christ, how much more important do we need to know the Word of God to be able to declare, it is written, Satan, it is written, Satan, it is written, Satan. You see, it's the Word of God that will defeat Satan. Not the Word of Mark, not the Word of Benny Hinn, or, or the, the Word of the new Pope. It's the Word of God that we have to have. 
For us to have that, we have to spend time in the Word of God, which means that our time with God cannot be a second thought. It needs to be a primary part of our day. Not if there's enough dime left over tonight, or if there's nothing good on TV, then I'll spend some time in the Word. Because Satan is spending a 24-7 surveillance camera on you to see where our areas of weakness are. Are we spending a little too much time on an internet page? Are we looking at something we shouldn't be looking? Is that just flirtatious email from that handsome or beautiful coworker just thrilling you a little too much? Those are areas that we have to be careful with. Search ourselves, but to have passage in the word saying it is written. The second stone is the stone of God's provision. In John 2, 6, it tells us, and standing nearby were six stone jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing, and each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Now, this one point alone, I could do an entire message on, I got to tell you. So to squeeze it down to like three minutes was very difficult. You know the story that Jesus has been invited to a wedding. Now, back in that time, wedding feasts lasted usually seven days. It was feeding your guests and getting them drunk for seven days, okay? It wasn't just one of these from eight to nine o'clock, we're having a little reception. No, this was a full bore party. And if things didn't go well, especially in the Jewish society, you were kind of branded, okay? So first off, there would have been the embarrassment that so-and-so ran out of food and wine during their, their marriage feast. And they would have lived with that for the rest of their lives. Multiple commentaries talked about the embarrassment of not having the provision for their guests. So one point we can look at this is that Jesus is our provision. He will take care of our needs. When we present our needs to him, he is our provision. But as I said, there's so many things that you could preach if you study this. Those jars were used for ceremonial cleansing, which was under the law. Jesus turned something ordinary into something extraordinary, just like our lives. You see, a lot of us will try to live under the law, and you will never fulfill your salvation under the law. But it was under the grace and mercy, under the new covenant, the wine. Remember the communion that we just took this morning? The wine was symbolism of what? His blood. See what I'm saying? We could spend a whole message just on this. But his provision, he used stone jars to be our provision? Are there needs in our lives that we haven't turned over to Christ? Are there areas that we've blocked off that said this isn't really necessary to bring Christ into? Let me tell you today, my risen Savior wants to be in every part, every element of your life. The third stone is the stone of God's restoration. John 4, 6 said, Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Once again, many of you know this story. Jesus is traveling. His disciples go ahead into town to go get some food, and he sits down on a, a stone well. And it was at the sixth hour. The women from the village did not come to get water that late in the day. The reason why she was coming, she was a Samaritan, was that she did not want to have contact with the other women of the village. Or the other women of the village did not want to have contact with her. 
and he has this conversation with this woman at the well, and he says, you know, if you knew what living water was inside, inside of you, you'd be asking for it. And she starts asking about the living water, Jesus Christ. And Jesus instead of, and then she wants to go into this, all this rituals. Well, my people say we should celebrate here and your people say we should celebrate. And he gets right to it. He says, I'll tell you what, why don't you go bring your husband and let's talk about it. And I can just sense her head dropping down as she said, the man I'm with right now is not my husband. And then Jesus said, you've had five husbands. All of a sudden, he's just exposing everything. I mean, a moment in Christ's presence, you, you, you really have nothing that you can hide in front of the Almighty God. And what happens in those beautiful moments that he gives her restoration, that he talks with her, he gives her hope, he shares the living water, a beautiful thing happens. She leaves, goes back to the village, tells everybody about Christ, and brings the village back to him at the well. In my stone of restoration, I'm just like that woman at the well. I was sinful. It was not through works that Christ saved me. He forgave me. He said, your sins, Mark, I'll remember no more. But am I going to my local village and then telling everybody, you need to hear this message that Jesus Christ is sharing about forgiveness. You need to know the prophet that told everything about me and his word brings hope and joy. See, a lot of us are accepting the forgiveness and restoration and saying, wow, what a beautiful moment I had with Jesus Christ. And then we're keeping it to ourselves. And that's not what the Great Commission was about at all. It was telling us to go to preach and share the good news of Jesus Christ wherever we are. His mission is still the same. Our mission is still the same. We have received much. We should give much to others, not just keep it to ourselves. Just say, well, man, I am so blessed. I'm so on fire for God, and I don't care about my neighborhood, you know. They're going to do what they want to do anyways. Wrong. God has you there for a reason. God has you at your workplace for a reason. God has you at your school for a reason. You are placed. You are positioned. I think when we're in heaven, we're going to see all of the encounters that were set up for us that we thought were just haphazard, but we know that our steps are ordered of God. We need to share that restoration that we received in our lives with others in our world. Stone number four, stone of God's forgiveness. John 8, 7 said, But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. The story here is that Jesus is teaching and all of a sudden the Pharisees have brought a woman that was caught in the act of adultery. They probably already came with their favorite stone. Okay, I'm telling you, this is my favorite stoning. This, I've used this three times. This is my best one. So they're coming because they know, and they're trying to actually, trying to trick Jesus. And they're saying, Jesus, according to the law of Moses, this woman needs to be stoned. What's your thoughts? What's your input? What are you blogging right now, Jesus? Tell us. What's your thoughts? We're ready. Are you ready? 
And at that point, Jesus is looking down and he just starts writing something in the sand. I bet this stone might have seen it, you know, what, what he was writing. And then he looks up and he tells him, you know, he was without sin. Go ahead and cast the first stone. And then he starts writing again. And at this point, I think he's naming names, okay? I think at first it was just kind of generic stuff. But at this point, he's naming names like, I knew that woman. That, that used to be my business. There were specifics, I think, when he was writing that. And you know, the stones that were being held so tightly, were so ready to be thrown in judgment, were now dropping to the ground. You're hearing them thump, 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 on the ground. Because all of a sudden they're realizing, who am I to judge? In fact, the only person that could have literally thrown the stone was Jesus Christ. Because he said, he was without sin. He was sinless. He could have been the only one. But what does he say to her? He says, those, he, Jesus raises up and seeing no one but the woman says to her, where are those that accused you? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no, Lord, not one. And Jesus said to her, neither do I. That's the beautiful part of Christ's ministry of forgiveness. We've seen provision. We've seen forgiveness. We've seen restoration. We all have messed up lives. None of us are without sin. We need to ask for forgiveness, to seek a fresh start. Just ask and it'll be given unto you. Seek and you will find and knock and the door will be opened unto you. This passage has been going through my mind. It was great, it was shared even today during worship time. A passage, Matthew 7, 7. All we have to do is ask, seek, knock, and it'll be given unto us. My fifth stone is a stone of miracles. John eleven thirty eight through 44 tells us this. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench in there, for he's been dead for four days. There's times where I tell God the obvious. Have you ever done that? You know, but God, if you do this now, this is what's going to happen. And I think he just grins at me. I think I do. I, I'm probably better than HBO to God because he's just like, you got to watch this guy. He has the audacity to tell me that that body's going to be stinking after four days. Or that this is actually going to happen. I think uh, my, my, my title might be Captain Obvious, okay? Because he's like, no, watch this guy. Because he tells me things I already know. And he thinks he's telling me in prayer, and then it makes him feel a whole lot better. And I let him tell me, because I think it makes him feel a whole lot better, but I'm still going to do what I need to do. So I love this. So she's saying, Lord, don't you know that he's been in there four days and there'll be a stench? And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, and then Jesus raised her eyes and, and, he, and raised his eyes and said, Father... I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you will always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe it that you sent me. Then, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, 
Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings around his face and was wrapped around him in the cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Now I would have loved to have been at that cave. Okay. What we see is that Christ not only has the power to raise the physical, but the spiritual. In our lives, there are things that are dead that are both. There may have been a calling on your life. There may have been something that God gave as a dream to you that you've put aside and put aside and put aside. And that dream has become dead. But I want you to know I serve a risen Savior who can call forth those things that were dead. You may have a relationship that you feel is dead in the physical or a situation or an inheritance that should have came to you, something that should have happened and you feel like, you know what, it is just dead in the physical. It's not going to happen, Mark. I've even stopped praying about it. I want you to know that we serve a risen Savior that resurrects the dead. Not only the physical, but the spiritual parts of our lives. Those hopes, those dreams, the calling in our lives. God has called them forth. You might be spending some time in prayer and all of a sudden you're going to hear Joseph. He's calling that forth out of Joe. He's calling the, calling the dreams, the things that we've put away on the shelf. He's calling it forth. What are you dealing with? What are you dealing with in your life? Are you dealing with a medical situation that the doctors have just said, you just have to deal with this. This is going to be a part of your life. No, 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 no. I serve a risen Savior. I serve a risen Savior. What about doubt? What about fear? Some of us may be dead in doubt, dead in fear, crippled, paralyzed. All of a sudden, you start hearing the voice of your Savior calling that out. You're being called out of the deadness of your life, the deadness of fear, the deadness of doubt, unbelief. Whatever it is that's causing sickness, we serve a risen Savior. Nothing is too big for our Lord. And it's time for us to truly cast all of our cares upon the Lord. I tell you, you need to know the Word. That's what the Word of God says. It's cast your cares upon the Lord. How many of us carry our cast around? Oh, we'll give it to him on God on Sunday, but we pick it up Sunday afternoon, right before you leave. It's in the foyer before you leave the door. And we take it and we walk right back outside with it. But he's saying, give it to me. Come to me, all ye are, are tired. And I'll give you rest. Amen. I have never seen a society that's more tired. We've had more technology to do more things for us, and yet everybody's always tired. Have you ever realized that? Do you run into a lot of people who said, you know what, I got 10 hours of sleep last night. I feel great. I'm taking on the world. No, Monday morning they're coming in with this huge mega thing of bubba gum of, of coffee, okay, and they're looking at you. They growl to 1130, you know. Praise God. Why are we not casting our cares on the Lord? Why are we not giving him those concerns? Rest, asking him for his peace, the peace that passes all understanding that will guard our heart. That's what my Bible tells me that is available to us. 
Number six, the prayer stone. Luke 22, verses 41 through 44 says this, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will but yours be done. Now an angel of the Lord appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling upon the ground. As my Savior prayed, the drops of blood were falling upon the stones. I don't know if many of you have been able to watch the, the series on the Bible. They said it's been watched by almost 100 million people. Tonight is the crucifixion. But last Sunday night was when he was praying in the garden. Praying to a point where his blood became, his sweat became like blood. What you have to see is that a perfect life that had never sinned, had never failed the Father, was about to take on all the sins of the world. My sins, your sins, all of our sickness, all of our disease. And he hung on an immense pain of cross, a cross of pain. And he did it for you, and he did it for me. And yet there's still people that reject him. Today, it was interesting, we were, I think it was the song that Matt was leading us in. And we were saying Jesus. And I realized, I don't know if you ever realize that you do something subconsciously, and then when you realize you're doing that subconsciously, it kind of shocks you. And I realized that every time I say the name Jesus, I raise my hands. And I thought, and, and I'm, this is happening during worship, and I go, why, why am I doing this? Because I associate worship with Jesus. See, if Jesus was just a cuss word to me, there would not be the worship associated with it. I guess I'm like that dog that you ring the bell and they go eat. You say, Jesus, I start worshiping. It's the relationship all of us should have with Jesus Christ. That it should not be a slang word or a cuss word or associated with a cuss word, but when somebody just says, Jesus, it's like, I'm ready. Let's go. Yeshua. It's our time to accept him. To realize what he did on that cross for us. The last stone that I want to talk to you about is probably the most prevalent. You say, Mark, how did you tie this in with Easter? Here we go. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 7. And after the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to go look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord had come down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where they lay, where he lay. Then they go quickly. Excuse me. 
and they tell the disciples, He has risen from the dead, and He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see Him, and now I have told you. Of all the stones, that's the one stone that I would like to interview. You see, that one stone saw them bring in my Savior. But that one stone saw what was happening during those three days. I want you to realize Lazarus stones had to be removed. Christ's stone didn't need to be removed. In fact, Christ's tombstone was removed so that we could come in, not that he could get out. That stone saw his body become glorious. His grave clothes become folded. It's important to understand what Easter and Resurrection Sunday means. We don't serve a dead God. We serve a risen Savior. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That is the true meaning of Easter. Jesus Christ has risen from the grave and he ascended into heaven. And he now sits at the right hand of the Father. He's risen. These stones portray parts of his ministry. Stones of forgiveness. Stones of compassion. Stones of provision. There's so many. But no stone could keep him in that tomb. No stone could keep him in that tomb. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I'd like to lead you in a very, very simple prayer. Today would be the best day. If you've never given your life to Christ, to say a very simple prayer and ask him into your heart to ask for forgiveness. Some of you are so in control of your life that you realize that you aren't in control of your life. You need not only a Savior, but you need a Lord that you can cry out to. Seek his advice. Ask for his favor. Pray to him about opening and closing doors that you have no control over. Having a Lord and Savior that is your provision when there's nothing in your, your cupboards or nothing in that bank account and seeing God perform a miracle. Having a God that will help you with forgiveness for people who hurt you. That in all rights of this world, you have the right to become bitter at them, but you ask for forgiveness so that you can love them the way God loves them. That's what it means to serve a risen Savior. And I'd like to give everybody the opportunity this morning to pray with me. We'll pray out loud. We'll ask for the best resurrection Easter Sunday gift you can ever receive. And it's not going to come in a basket. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave 
to give me life. Please forgive me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I now confess Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I am saved. Amen, amen, amen. If you're here and you pray that for the very first time, if you're listening to this message through the web, it's important that you make a declaration and you tell somebody, today I gave my life to Christ. Today is a new beginning in my life. My sins are forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Wouldn't it be a great opportunity this week while you're wearing your bracelet that you could give somebody that same opportunity who asks you, what does that mean? Their heart is ready to receive Christ. All Christ needs is someone who's willing to share what he's done in your life with others. I'm going to be praying and interceding that you will have a phenomenal week. Would you stand and I'd like to speak a blessing over you as we dismiss. Also, I want to tell you, I'm very honored to have Hannah and Nathaniel in the service with me. They rarely get to be in church with us. They have servants' hearts. They're the first ones here. They're the last ones to leave. And if you get a chance today, just tell them how much you love and appreciate them. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Go in his peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming today. Happy Resurrection Sunday.